The following is a message by Dr. Michael Horton of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at westcal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. Psalm 87, our text for devotions this morning, beginning at verse 1, we read, On the holy mount stands the city he founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. Among those who know me, I mention Rahab and Babylon. Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Cush. This one was born there, they say. And of Zion it shall be said, This one and that one were born in her. For the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord records as he registers the peoples, This one was born there. Singers and dancers alike say, All my springs are in you. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and Redeemer. Amen. In his famous uh, City of God, Augustine had this to say about Zion and the kingdoms of this world. These two cities, the city of God and the city of man, we find interwoven, as it were, in this present transitory world and mingled with one another. By two cities, I mean two societies of human beings, one of which is predestined to reign with God for all eternity, the other doomed to undergo eternal punishment with the devil. The earthly city will not be everlasting, for when it is condemned to the final punishment, it will no longer be a city. It has its good in this world and rejoices to participate in it with such gladness as can be derived from things of such a kind. And since this is not the kind of good that causes no frustrations to those enamored of it, the earthly city is generally divided against itself by litigation, by wars, by battles, by the pursuit of victories that bring death with them or, at best, are doomed to death. Our Roman Empire claimed to be actually liberating the world by uniting the languages, True, but think of the cost of this achievement. Consider the scale of those wars. With all that slaughter of human beings, all the human blood that was shed. While this heavenly city, therefore, is on pilgrimage in this world, she calls out citizens from all nations and so collects a society of aliens speaking all languages. I couldn't find a more fitting introduction to the text that is before us than this one. In the text that we have here, we have really three analogies. Uh, The analogy of a fortress, the analogy of a mother, and finally the analogy of a fountain. Rich imagery that supports the Zion theology that runs throughout the Psalter. It's difficult to date this psalm. Uh, It seems on the surface to be post-exilic, but it certainly could be Uh, pre-exilic because proselytes would mount the steps uh, going up to the temple on the festivals. They would join uh, the children of Israel on those 
pilgrimages. In either case, it certainly does build on the Zion theology that runs throughout this hymnal of Scripture. It has echoes in Isaiah and Jeremiah and then on into the New Testament, as we'll see in Galatians and Revelation. First of all, it's the mountain of the world in verses 1 through 3. The holy mount, a fortress city, a bastion of God's rule in this world. It is his footstool, the place where he begins to rule throughout all of the earth. It's easily contrasted, as Augustine points out, with all of the cities of this world. Cain's proud city was founded in fratricide. So too was Rome, Romulus and Remus. Think of all of the cities that are founded in blood, and yet this city is founded as the city of peace. Certainly not without war, as God established his rule on Mount Zion and deported all of those who were not recorded in Zion's record book. But it is a city of peace, a city of everlasting shalom, because it is founded by God. This fortress language is the basis for uh, Martin Luther's hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, which of course is uh, based on Psalm 46. Also in Psalm 76, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in this holy mountain. Beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. God is in her palaces. He is known as her refuge. Walk about Zion and go all around her. Count her towers. Mark well her bulwarks. Consider her palaces that you may tell it to the generations following. For this is God, our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to death. In Judah, God is known. His name is great in Israel. In Salem also is his tabernacle and his dwelling place in Zion. There he broke the arrows of the bow, the shield and sword of battle. You are more glorious and excellent than the mountains of prey. It's interesting in the the rabbinical tradition, uh, this Zion theology was held to such a literal degree that it was actually believed that Mount Zion was the tallest mountain uh, on the earth. Those of you who been to Jerusalem, uh, especially those of us who were raised in the West with the Rockies uh, and the Sierras, scratch our heads as we're standing on the Temple Mount looking around for Mount Zion. (laughs) It's not that big of a hill. But the point of the psalmist, the point of the prophets, is that this is the hill of the Lord. It is great in elevation because it is there where Yahweh has made his presence known. There's a close identification of Yahweh and Zion then. It is great in elevation because it's the fulcrum, the meeting place between heaven and earth. In Psalm 84 we read, How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Blessed is he whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. Each one appears before God in Zion, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand. 
I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. So Zion here also in Psalm 87 is God's footstool, the locus of his kingdom-extending work in the created order. He also praises the gates, the place not only of entrance and exit, establishing God's communion with his people, welcoming and inviting the the pilgrims into his holy courts, but a place of judgment. The gates always represent a place of judgment and authority. As in Psalm 122, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem, for thrones are set there for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Furthermore, in in this psalm, we're told that the Lord prefers this city to all of the dwellings of Jacob, all of those probably intended here, shrines and tabernacles in Bethel and Dan and in other places where Israel worshipped before Zion was made the place of central worship. No wonder glorious things of thee are spoken. But not only is Zion the fortress city founded by God, it's also the mother of the faithful, in verses 4 through 6. Again, among those who know me, I mention Rahab and Babylon. Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Cush. This one was born there, they say, and of Zion it shall be said, this one and that one were born in her. For the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord records as he registers the peoples, this one was born there. This is not the first place we read about the the record of the names, the census, as it were, of the citizens of Zion, the children of Zion. But what's odd about this particular reference is that people from Cush and Philistia and Tyre and Babylon uh, and Egypt would be considered part of the census, that this person was born there. Clearly, now we're not talking about the earthly Zion. We can't be talking about the earthly Zion because, uh, of course, uh, those... Uh, who were born in Philistia cannot be registered as having been born in Jerusalem. And so now we begin to see already in this Zion theology the eschatological movement within the Psalter itself, within this same psalm, as the eyes are raised from the earthly Jerusalem to the heavenly tabernacle, the heavenly city which is coming down from heaven. Rahab is code for Egypt, or Leviathan in 74, uh, Psalm 74, 13, that monster which God not only wrestles to the ground and captures, but also redeems. He redeems a people from Egypt and Babylon, Philistia, Tyre, Ethiopia. All of these are Israel's enemies, and yet they're listed among the census of Zion. And that's because this Zion will incorporate, unlike the earthly Zion, all the peoples of the earth. This will fulfill the promise that was made to Abraham, that in you and your seed, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. That could not happen 
through the national covenant at Sinai. It was limited to the Jewish people. But this covenant will spread from Jerusalem to Judea to the uttermost parts of the earth. It will be a global kingdom, a city of God that encompasses the whole earth, even Israel's enemies. This is certainly the sort of thought that you find in Isaiah 19, which is one of my favorite passages because it's, it's so shocking, right in the midst of all of the curses that God pronounces through Isaiah on the evil empires that have destroyed Israel and set it on such a shaky footing until finally they destroyed her, are blessed by God along with Israel. It is a remarkable passage that could only have astonished those people of Israel who read it. How is it that Egypt is called now my son, and Assyria is called my child, whom I brought up out of slavery? The language, the very language that is used of Israel in contrast to the nations that oppressed her is now applied to those very nations as God calls people out of all tribes, kindreds, tongues, and nations. God not only saves Jerusalem from her enemies, but saves her enemies from themselves and brings them to Jerusalem to enjoy the treasures and to bring their own glory into her. Or Isaiah 60, where the reader is told to lift up their eyes, Lift up your eyes and see all of the ships from all of the, all of the world coming into the Mediterranean harbor. Now, that wouldn't have been a comforting thing ordinarily. The ships of Tyre, the ship, ships of Cush, the ships of Egypt, uh, not exactly comforting news. Uh, there are warships in the, in the harbor. It is not necessarily good news to Israel in, in her history. But this time in Isaiah 60, we, we're told that now the sun is rising over all the earth, and these ships laden with implements of war once upon a time will now be laden with treasures to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and to bring their glory into her. All of this is carried over, of course, into the New Testament. Zion as the mother of the faithful and the Gentiles being brought into her walls, as in Matthew chapter 4, where we read in verse 13, Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, the tribes that, were, that didn't go in, Galilee of the Gentiles, Galilee of the Gentiles, that Gentile part of Galilee, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And now, as he told Nicodemus, everyone, including Jews, must be born again to enter into this kingdom. Paul is even more stark in his 
contrast between the earthly and heavenly Jerusalem. When he says in Galatians 4 that the Jerusalem which is below is actually in bondage, is actually the child of Hagar, has Hagar for its mother, and is in slavery. Whereas those, whether Jew or Gentile, who are in Christ belong to Abraham and Sarah. They have Sarah for their mother and Zion for their mountain. Only the Jerusalem which is above is free and capable of expanding its borders to include the whole earth, uniting in Christ all of the children of Abraham. In the meantime, the earthly city, Paul says there, the, the, the earthly Jerusalem just becomes one more place on the map of the cities of this world. In Ephesians 3.6, Paul explains the mystery of the ages, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. And Hebrews 11.10 surely has this psalm somewhere in mind when we read, By faith Abraham waited for the city, which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Zion, then, is the mountain of the world. It's the mother of the faithful, and finally, it's the fountain of the new creation. Singers and dancers alike say, All my springs are in you. A festal day as the procession announces that Zion is the spring, the wellspring, the source, the fountain of the new creation. In the exile, the Israelites weep by the rivers of Babylon, remembering Zion and her destruction. And as Psalm 46 reminds us, there is a river, a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged, the kingdoms were moved, he uttered his voice, the earth melted, the Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our refuge. Zion is the center, the, the locus of God's kingdom-bringing activity in the creation. As Martin Buber says, Zion is the heart of the renewed world. It is from here that God's glory will be extended to the far reaches of the world. The problem, of course, was the people began to realize this in the exile. As Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 2.13, God's people have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Instead of finding in God and his fountain the waters of life, they turn to their own resources, and this is why they are in exile. But the exile is over, Jesus announces in John 4.10, when he offers himself to the Samaritan woman, the double outcast, a Samaritan and an adulteress. He offers himself to her as the living water. And then at the seven-day feast of tabernacles, which culminated in a celebration of God's provision in the desert through the water, through a ceremony of drawing water from the well, because God provided water from the rock in the wilderness, Jesus announced himself as the fountain 
of living water. And if you are in me, he says, you will have living water welling up within you. As Paul reminds us, the children of Israel in the desert drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. A final uh, representative passage in the New Testament that I think draws on Psalm 87 is Revelation 21. And I'll close with this passage. The angel shows John the bride, the lamb's wife, by spiriting him away to a high mountain, to Mount Zion. A great and high mountain. And showed him the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, with twelve gates. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day, there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it, but there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And in fact, in the next verse, John is shown the great river of life, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb with the tree of life in the midst of it. So in these passages of Revelation, the key elements of this psalm are present. Mount Zion, with its glorious foundations and gates, the light that draws the nations into it, the book of life, and the river of life. And yet it's all transformed in the heavenly Jerusalem, the vision of the heavenly city where Mount Zion is the bride of Christ. The temple is Christ himself with his bride. The lamb is its light and its ever welcoming gates never shut. Copyright 2007 Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.